0: This is
1: How Sound from PRX, the public radio exchange. Hi, I'm Rob Rosenthal. Welcome to How Sound, the backstory to great radio storytelling. I have two conundrums for you. Conundrum number one if the New York City Police Department tends to guard, really guard, certain information, How is a crime reporter supposed to accurately report on crimes, even crimes that might involve the police?
0: I think the NYPD beat is a very hard beat.
1: Elsa Chang is a criminal justice reporter for WNYC in New York.
0: You know, I haven't been a police reporter in other cities, but you are reporting on an organization that does not want to give you information. They're distrusting of the media. And what you have to do is basically get an in. For me, it started with just one person.
1: Conundrum number two. Suspected criminals have reason to spin the truth. Plus, the police may say one thing and a suspect another. How does a crime reporter suss out fact from fiction?
0: Well, that's where the
1: reporting part comes in, right? Elsa skillfully solved both of these conundrums for her report with a long title, Alleged Illegal Searches by the NYPD May Be Increasing Marijuana Arrests. I'll just call it alleged illegal searches from here on out. How's that? (laughs) Alleged Illegal Searches is a two-part series and a classic example of enterprise journalism, reporting that's investigative, reporting that unearths new and sometimes hidden information about an issue of public importance. That alone would make it worth listening to, but Elsa won an Alfred I. DuPont Columbia Journalism Award for the series.
0: This is my first investigative story with WNYC, period, and it was my first major NYPD story.
1: Alleged Illegal Searches, which aired in 2011, explores allegations that the NYPD were performing unlawful searches during stop-and-frisks. Those illegal searches may have led to a significant increase in arrests.
0: The way it came about was (laughs) I had just gotten put on the police beat, and the station gave me a couple weeks to just kind of... Start talking to folks, academics, law enforcement officials off the record and just kind of get to know my beat. And through those conversations, one person, um, actually two people had said, you might want to check out just the marijuana arrest procedures um, because there are allegations that that there are police officers across the city conducting unlawful marijuana arrests. And um, sure enough, the more people I talked to on all on, on the entire spectrum agree that this was happening.
1: So Elsa dove into the deep end and reported the heck out of this story. Let's take a listen. Here's alleged illegal searches by the NYPD may be increasing marijuana arrests. Every day in New York City, police arrest 140 people for possessing small amounts of marijuana. It's now by far the most common misdemeanor charge in the city. And thousands of these arrests take place when police stop and frisk young men in the poorest neighborhoods. While police say these stop and frisks are a way to find guns, what they find more often is a bag of marijuana. An investigation by WNYC's Elsa Chang suggests that some police officers may be conducting illegal searches when they're making these marijuana arrests.
0: Antonio Rivera says he's the kind of guy police love to stop.
1: What's going on, primo?
0: He wears baggy jeans that hang low. His thick black hair is usually in braids. And he's half Puerto Rican, half black. Just the right shade, he jokes, to get any police car to roll right up to him.
1: Look, they go right there being nosy. Yep. I think they're going to hop out right now.
0: A police car has just pulled up in front of us. Rivera holds his breath. The officers watch us for a minute and then drive on.
1: (laughs) Crazy. If I would have been here by myself, they would have hopped out. Definitely.
0: Rivera says the police stop him up to five times a month. In January, he was stopped and frisked right here at the corner of 183rd Street and Creston Avenue in the Bronx. They arrested him for marijuana possession. And critics of the police say his case is a good example of how officers may be conducting illegal searches when making marijuana arrests. The law says if you're carrying a small amount of pot, but it's in your pocket. It's not a crime. It's a violation. All you get is a ticket and a fine. It becomes a crime if you're smoking that pot or displaying it in public view. Rivera says the only reason the police could say his marijuana was in public view was because they pulled it out of his clothes after searching him without his consent.
1: So they checked my pockets, my coat pockets, and they padded my jean pockets. And then once he felt the package I had like in my crotch area, he went into my pants and he pulled it out.
0: Rivera had lodged a Ziploc bag of marijuana in his crotch while still in the room where he bought it. He claims he never took the drugs out when he went outside, but the police officer who arrested him told prosecutors Rivera was openly displaying his drugs. Here's Rivera's lawyer, Martha Kashiki, reading the criminal complaint. At the above time and place, he observed the defendant to have on his person, in his right hand, one Ziploc bag containing a dried green leafy substance with a distinctive odor alleged to be marijuana, in public view. Police Commissioner Ray Kelly would not grant an interview to WNYC about possible illegal searches by the police. But at a recent press conference, I did ask Kelly, is marijuana now a priority for the NYPD?
1: Uh, marijuana is against the law or smoking marijuana. Uh, officers encounter those situations in the street, they, they take action. If anyone thinks that's inappropriate, they should petition the state legislature to change the law.
0: So we took a look at what officers are encountering on the street. WNYC tracked down more than a dozen men arrested for allegedly displaying marijuana in public view. Each person said the marijuana was hidden in their pocket, in their sock, their shoe, or their underwear. None of them have been buying their drugs outside. There's no videotape to confirm their accounts, but they each said the police pulled the drugs out of their clothes. You've already met Rivera. Here are two more men. Leo Henning, who's black, says he was walking in East Harlem with marijuana inside his sock. This area right here is where
1: I got stopped.
0: And there's Hassan Covington, a black man from Marble Hill with a long rap sheet, including a few attempted robberies 10 years ago. He says his pot was in his jacket pocket.
1: They asked me, like, yo, you got anything on you? I was like, no. You got anything on you that we can poke ourselves with? Got any guns on you? No.
0: Neither of them was carrying a weapon at the time he was stopped.
1: They patted me down, and they checked the outside of my sleeves on my coats. You know, they touched my shoulders, chest, back, midsection, legs, feet. Then they're in the pockets. Then he went to my front right pocket. Then he went to my front left pocket. Then he went to my right back pocket. Then he went to my left back pocket. And then he switched over to my right sock. He stuck his hands in. His fingers was going under my foot, inside my sock. That's when he felt it together.
0: Did he ever ask if he could search you? No. Did you ever say, go ahead, look into my pockets? No. Did you ever open your pockets to show him what was in your pocket? No. Didn't have an opportunity to. Defense lawyers say these stories are routine. Robin Steinberg's office, the Bronx Defenders, handles thousands of marijuana arrests a year. She says in most of these cases, the police either ordered the person to empty his pockets or searched his pockets themselves. And she says that's how the drugs get into public view. So the police officer, in fact, is creating a type of criminality. Now, I've worked in this community for 13 years, and I just never see people standing on street corners with their hands wide open, palms open to the sky, with bags or marijuana sitting in their hands. It's nonsensical. Everybody knows it's not true. The lawyers for the men you've just heard from say the police found marijuana on their clients only after an illegal search. The law here is specific. First, for a police officer to stop you, he needs reasonable suspicion you're committing a crime— these men say they were just walking down the street. Second, a police officer can pat down the outside of your clothing only if he believes you're carrying a weapon. He can only search you, that is go inside a pocket, if he thinks he feels a weapon there during the pat down. But Hassan Covington says police officers don't seem to understand the difference between a search and a pat down.
1: I've never experienced a pat down in my life. Whereas Officers, do not go into your pockets, do not go into your pants, do not open your jacket, do not fondle your genitals, do not ask you to take your boots off.
0: No one knows how many illegal searches take place every year. In a written statement to WNYC, police spokesman Paul Brown acknowledged that illegal searches do happen and officers get disciplined when the department finds out. Brown then went on to detail the official policy police should follow before they perform a search. He said if an officer feels any hard object during a pat-down, he can search the person. But Peter Moskos at John Jay College of Criminal Justice says Brown misstated the law.
1: Any hard object does not give you the right to go into a pocket and search.
0: Moskos says the hard object has to feel like a weapon or be big enough to store a weapon. And if it turns out it's not a weapon, the search ends there. If you feel a hard object in one pocket, you can go into that pocket to investigate, but that doesn't give you the right to go into every pocket and in people's crotches and shoes and socks. But Robin Steinberg says her clients get searched all over their clothes so routinely during police stops, she's accepted illegal searches as a fact of life. When enough people tell a story in the same way, with the same facts, in the same circumstances, over and over again, completely different people from different neighborhoods and different backgrounds, you begin to understand that that chorus of voices reflects a reality. And part of that reality, she says, is that almost all these voices belong to Blacks and Latinos. Harry Levine of Queens College has been tracking the city's marijuana arrest rates for
1: years. In New York... Blacks are arrested at seven times the rate of whites, and Latinos are arrested at about three to four times the rate of whites. All this is happening even as young whites use marijuana at higher rates than blacks and Latinos.
0: Even though national studies show young whites smoke pot more, about 90% of the people arrested for marijuana in the city are black or Latino. Why? Levine says because they live in neighborhoods filled with police. Many of the precincts with the most marijuana arrests are the precincts with the most stop-and-frisks. Places like Brownsville, East Harlem, and the South Bronx. Antonio Rivera says that fact of life eventually erodes trust in the police.
1: People, well, in this neighborhood, they're tired of the cops. Every time they see the cops, they see trouble. They know they're going to come around, they're going to bother somebody.
0: But the police say they're getting results. They claim cracking down on low-level offenses like marijuana reduces violent crime. Rivera's precinct saw murder drop 85 percent in the last 20 years, and it has one of the highest marijuana arrest rates in the city. But law enforcement experts say it's impossible to single out these misdemeanor arrests as the cause of any long-term reduction in violent crime. Meanwhile, arrests for marijuana keep climbing under Bloomberg's administration and just broke 50,000 last year. For WNYC, I'm Elsa Chang.
1: Most illegal searches never get challenged in court. To Understand why the criminal justice system of checks and balances might be failing to root out many illegal searches. Tune in tomorrow for the second part of Elsa Chang's investigation. And go to WNYC.org to see a map of marijuana arrests and stop and frisks by precinct. This is How Sound, you just heard alleged illegal searches by the NYPD may be increasing marijuana arrests. It's part one of the two-part series, and a mouthful. But it's one heck of a story from Elsa Chang. I've put a link to both this story and the second story in the series up at the blog, howsound.org. I should mention that Elsa was a lawyer prior to becoming a reporter for WNYC. That may partially explain her skills working on the criminal justice beat for the station. She was on familiar turf in terms of the subject matter. But she says she left the law in 2006. By the time she started reporting on the alleged illegal searches story, she'd only been reporting on the criminal justice beat for about a year. And most of those reports were quick turnaround pieces. So I started wondering as we were talking, if a crime reporter needs to form a relationship with a police department, how do you do that while simultaneously investigating a topic that will portray them in a bad light?
0: Well, let me just take issue with something you said. I don't think it's my job to form a relationship with the police department. It's my job to report on them. Obviously, a, a good working relationship helps. But um, if you've had any experience with the NYPD, you'll know that it's it's a very tribal organization. And um If you're someone that they have pegged as being kind of hard-hitting and too critical, too negative against the NYPD, it will be harder for you to gain the cooperation of the public information office. I mean, you got to kind of work with them. You can't just be continually criticizing the department and expect the public information office there. The deputy commissioner of public information to be utterly cooperative with every information request you send out. So I would say, for the most part, that um, I'm still able to get information from the deputy commissioner of public information. But I have to say, it doesn't always feel like it's been as easy since um, that stop and frisk marijuana arrest series came out. Um, You know, there I have other colleagues here at WNYC who can email things on my behalf, email requests on my behalf to the deputy commissioner of public information. And sometimes, honestly, they get answers faster than even I will, um, given, you know, depending on the issue. So I I do wonder, it's not confirmed, but I do wonder if my stop and frisk reporting has um, affected the speed with which I get responses to my questions now.
1: The Public Information Office is the official gatekeeper for the NYPD. A reporter can't solely rely on them to provide all the particulars needed for an accurate report. So, as Elsa said earlier, she found another way in, through one person. Somebody in a supervisorial capacity
0: that I was introduced to. And I had long conversations with this particular member of the NYPD, um, I reported on some stories using that information, and I proved to this person that I could use information that was um, on background or off the record and attribute it in such a way that would not cast suspicion on him. And once this person trusted me, um, this officer introduced me to other people in the department, and it's almost like a, a tree at that point. And And then they would give me information. And once I trusted, gained their trust, then they started introducing me to other people. And pretty soon you have this network of sources. But it's all kind of, it it all kind of has to build from you proving to each person, I am not going to burn you. I will use your information um, judiciously. And, you know, I won't run with everything you say. And if I do run with something you say, I'm going to be very careful about how I attribute it, how I characterize it. So you're not going to be the person... Um, in trouble for it because in the NYPD they they are not allowed members are not allowed to talk to the media and although it's rare to see someone like outright fired for talking to the media um, less official consequences can happen to you you know perks can be taken away or you may not get the detail you wanted or whatever so you have to be very careful with your sources and and make sure you're not in any way putting them in harm's way
1: I feel like everybody's got a spin how do you navigate the spin, the spin that can come from both the police department as well as 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 criminals or people suspected of crimes?
0: Right. First you got to be able to confirm everything you can possibly confirm. If a defendant is telling you the police did this to me, I was standing on this street corner, I was, you know, wearing this kind of clothing and he put his hands in my pocket. Get every possible document that might confirm that. Now, obviously, the police officer may have a totally different version of what happened. So maybe the police report doesn't reflect the defendant's account. And in that case, if you really have no videotape of the incident and no paper documents documenting the incident, then you tell your listeners that WNYC couldn't confirm the account, but here's Jose Rodriguez's version of what happened. You know, give the police version, the police version and then give the defendant version.
1: So for this story, the first part of the two-part series, you tracked down a dozen people who were arrested for marijuana possession. How did you find those people?
0: All kinds of ways. Um, I a lot of criminal justice advocates and defense lawyers were ready to kind of spoon feed me whom they thought were really good candidates. So I talked to those people, but I didn't want to be accused when this piece aired of only talking to the people spoon-fed to me by defense lawyers or criminal justice advocates. So um, I also spent time just uh, during arraignments in criminal court. Literally, we're talking just sitting there for hours and hours watching people um, getting charged for various low-level crimes in New York City. And I would talk to the people who were getting arraigned for marijuana possession and just get their firsthand account. Um, so that's what I would recommend to people. If you, if you're trying to find a character to drive a narrative, um, you know, there will be a lot of people, you know, who are going to agree with your narrative, who will want to feed you the picture perfect character, the movie ready character, but, um, kind of like make sure that you cast a wide net, even if it takes longer. And even if the character you land on, isn't the picture perfect character, give yourself that opportunity so you don't get accused at the back end of basically just doing the bidding of criminal justice advocates or or whatever advocates.
1: Elsa says that within weeks after the investigation, New York's Governor Andrew Cuomo got involved. Cuomo introduced a proposal that would redefine marijuana misdemeanors to reduce incentives for police to conduct illegal searches and arrests. The state legislature rejected the bill in June of 2012, but Elsa says they may take it up again next session.
0: Probably more striking was months after the investigation, Commissioner Kelly issued an internal order to every single member of the police department commanding every officer to conduct marijuana arrests lawfully. That order, going back to our question of how do you report on the NYPD when it's so secretive that was an internal order it was not meant for public consumption but one of my sources within the NYPD found that order saw that order hit his desk and gave me a copy of it and that's how i found out about that order wnyc was the first to report on that order and it was followed by the associated press new york times daily news and all these other media organizations in the city um, the heat, the collective heat from the press, from WNYC's report, and all the follow-up reporting that happened after our investigation aired, formed some pressure on the police department to look again at what the legal, the legal contours of a proper marijuana arrest are, and to reissue an order to the department saying you got to follow the law, people.
1: That's reporter Elsa Chang. Elsa recently left WNYC and will now be reporting economic stories from New York for NPR. Okay, on a totally different subject, do you know about Sound Opinions? It's a rock and roll podcast. It's hosted by rock critics Jim DeRogatis and Greg Cott. WBEZ produces Sound Opinions and PRX distributes it every week. The other day I was listening to Sound Opinions retrospective on punk rock from the 1970s and I nearly blew the speakers out of my car. That's my Music. And I had it cranked to 11. If you'd like to put your speakers at risk, check out Sound Opinions. You can subscribe via iTunes if you like. Oh, and call your local radio station and suggest they start airing the weekly show. This is How Sound, the backstory to great radio storytelling. It's produced by the Public Radio Exchange, PRX.org. I'm Rob Rosenthal. Thanks for listening. ransom.org